0: Before I get going too far and too too far into the service, I want to know that I I just want you to grab the chair in front of you and just hold on for the next 20 minutes. (laughs) A little white-knuckle airline coming your way. No, um... I, I chose I was ta- thinking about these sermons as I was laying out my sermons and those of some of you are privy to this you see this that I that I actually send out the sermon titles in 6 month increments. Well when I was looking at this one I go is that 3 weeks of sermons or is that 1 week of sermons? Is that 3 weeks? 1 week. 3 weeks. And well lucky you it's 1 week. <laughs> um Just want you to know, so there's some of that to it. Um, How many of you have, are there anybody in here that's become a naturalized citizen of the United States? Is there anybody here that's, or a naturalized citizen of another country? Is there anybody in here that's done that? Do you know anybody that's done that? Okay. Was it work for them? Yeah. Yeah, it is work. so So as we get into this, I just want you to know that as we set this tone, there's two little touchstones I want. To do about that, that there's actual work attached to becoming a citizen of a place that you weren't born to. And the other one is this. About um, a month and a half ago in the Bible study, the Wednesday night Bible study, we've been working our, so our way very slowly through Colossians. Just want you to know just how slowly. About 15 weeks we're in the second chapter. That is a slow and in-depth Bible study. It starts at 6. But a while back, we were having quite a discussion around this topic, and the sermon was coming and ready. But here's the topic, and this is from verse 13 in Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. There are two kingdoms in there, but that's quite a discussion to be had about how does that happen. And if you just take that verse out of context, it it sounds like, wow, he's done a lot of stuff. But there is a methodology to him, and you have to go back a couple of verses. Let me read that, and then we'll go into Luke and, and see where Paul gets some of this stuff. This is Paul. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened in all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So I want you to see that, that there's, if you just take that little thing, I've been transferred from one kingdom to another, and you go, wow, how's that happen? If you fill that out, there's some things here that you get filled with the Spirit so you can withstand it. But before that, you have forgiveness of sins and redemption. That's the transfer situation. So let's, uh, let's take a deep breath and we'll go into Luke. And, and read this. And so I want to read this. This is three chunks of scripture that build upon each other and explain how that transfer in the kingdom is happening. And, uh, if you have any questions and I lose you halfway, it is okay with me if you go, Hey, excuse me. Excuse me. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll go back and I'll see what I can do. Okay. So this is, uh, 11 verses 14 to, um, 26. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak, and when the demon was gone, the man began to speak and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons, he gets his power from Satan. The prince of demons, others trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He knew their thoughts, and so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. By the way, last week as we were talking, I was talking with Lloyd, who, who uh, is a retired colonel from the, or light colonel from the Air Force, and I said, what's the difference between a revolt and a revolution? Do you know the difference between a revolt and a revolution? One succeeds. Right, the difference is the revolt doesn't succeed, it's just put down, or not done yet, who knows? But, but any civil any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed a family splintered by feuding will fall apart you say i am empowered by satan but if satan is divided and fighting against himself how can his kingdom survive it's not going to by the way Shh, don't. and if i am empowered by satan what about your own exorcists they cast out demons too so they they will condemn you for you have said if i am casting out demons by the power of God. But if, sorry, let me read that last one again. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When the evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there, so the person is worse off than before. I want you to recognize something here, that there's two steps of the three. There's three steps. Say one, two, three. So the first step to finding out that the kingdom of God, is that of being transferred into the kingdom of God, the first step on our behalf is to recognize when the kingdom of God comes near. And you say, well, that's easy, right? Um, you know, let's, let's take a look at the text here. The Pharisees started to say, well, that was an amazing thing, but you do that by Satan. How many of you have had something amazing happen in your life and, and you didn't have any frame of reference to understand it? What was your first response? Make it go away. Run away. <laughs> Have any of you had something amazing happen in your life that there's no explanation for and it actually is the kingdom of God coming near? I can say that. I know some of you have had those things because I've talked to you and I've shared some of my own with with this congregation over the time. I'm walking and not limping because the kingdom of God has come near in a healing moment for me. Now, does that mean I'm pain-free? No. But... I don't deserve to not be able to limp, or to be able to not limp. That's beyond what I've done to myself. Some of you have had those moments in your life, but you start to recognize when the kingdom of God comes near that maybe it's important not to deny it. That you call upon the Lord while he's near, because when he's far away, by the way, he's never far away, but he seems far from our perspective. That it's a lot harder to get his attention from our perspective when he seems so far away. But when he's near, recognize it. Now what's happened? Jesus came and there was a man possessed by a demon who couldn't speak and he booted the demon. You have been forgiven. The kingdom of God has come near, and you have been forgiven. By the way, that's an amazing statement in your own life. Um, if I were to say this, and you were to say, how does one get to be a citizen of the kingdom of Satan? I would suggest that having a demon is a pretty good start. Would, would you agree with that? Having a demon's probably a pretty good start to making sure you're not going to heaven. But if along comes somebody stronger than Satan and says, you're out of here, and the room is swept clean, that is the forgiveness and the transfer into the kingdom, if you will. That's what it says in our things here, or in Colossians. Let me skip back to Colossians and read this Colossians 1, just a little bit of this again the domain of darkness and transferred us, you've delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have forgiveness and redemption. Okay, you've been forgiven and you've been redeemed out of the situation you're in. Now later on, we'll go back to the people that don't do the next step. Because there is a next step. Right, Even Colossians says, may you be filled with the Spirit. Let's talk about that one from Luke. This is Luke 27 and beyond. And as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from you came and the breasts that nursed you. And Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Now, I don't want to go very far into this, but I do want to say um, I'm not specifically against people doing genealogies and all that. I understand that. There are parts of my own genealogy that are fairly important to me, they are interesting to me. I think part of my genealogy includes a dad who's 83 that still works full-time, and I think that's pretty amazing. His dad was a Manhattan Project scientist. I think that's kind of interesting. But more important than any of that is where I'm going. You don't start out in a spot and say, well, I only get into the kingdom of God because I came from the right family. You all came from the right family, and you all came from the wrong family. (laughs) They're all interspersed. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Everybody's got the cousin that they don't talk about. In my case, it's a brother. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but you all come from the right family and the wrong family. What you do is you come from the human family, and that qualifies you when he, the kingdom of God comes near to be cleansed and transferred. It doesn't mean that all your behaviors are just perfect. And all your behaviors aren't just perfect because of what family you came out of, are they? Sometimes we've been socialized into some things that cause us to do, that do things that aren't good for us. Sometimes our family habits aren't a help. It's one of the things I was talking about with a prayer group the other day. I meet with a prayer group of pastors praying for, for revival within our denomination. And we were talking about new believers being Messy. Would you believe that? New believers are messy. Do you know why? They don't know very much about the kingdom of God, and so they're confused by some things. Now, the flip side is, is that sometimes long-time believers are messy. They've come to believe things that they should never have come to believe. And sometimes you need the new people to go, huh? Why would you believe that? and sometimes we need to say to our young to our new believers you know we have some reasons for the reason way we do things this is why and then that questioning and the discussion comes so it's not just all about genealogy now the jews were all about genealogy read numbers sometime but they had mistaken something they were trying to track the promise of God for a new style of humanity, and they thought that that had happened through their genealogy. It happened because God had operated within the human theater. And and they happened to have a chronicle of it, so they had misinterpreted something. But here we go. Blessed even more are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. As this crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that God has sent him. The Queen of Sheba will stand against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of God or wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, and you refuse to listen. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins by the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body when your eye is good your whole body is filled with light when the light is when it's bad your body is filled with darkness make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness if you are filled with light with no dark corners then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling it with light first step recognize that the kingdom of god has come near second step let him cleanse you. Third step. Put something else in the house after it was cleaned up. Something good, something light. Make sure that the light you put in you is actually light. Now, now, some of this is more difficult than you might think because we have these traditions that we do in churches. And, and I'm not a fan of tradition per se. I've had this conversation with, with my leadership and some others. I like a good tradition if it's doing what it was intended to do. Unfortunately, a lot of our traditions aren't actually doing what they were intended to do because they were done out of a different culture, and that culture is gone. Now a question has to be said. Is the tradition savable? Is it, if it's not doing what it was intended to do, can it be strengthened? Can it do what it was intended to do? with some changes. If not, let's jettison that before it does damage to somebody else. Let's not just keep things around because we've always done them that way. My dad used to say this about a certain denomination of churches. He's a church architect, and he would say, sometimes you go into those churches and you say, well, we've got to change a few things, and they would go, change? (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about. We can't change. We have to use that kind of light bulb because we've always used that type of light bulb. We live in a world where the type of light bulb we use has to change, doesn't it? And sometimes we make mistakes. I would say it this way How many of you have spent a lot of money on fluorescent little bulbs that don't really light up very much? Okay. Because they're green, right? They're better for the environment. Except that every one of them has so much mercury in them that they're actually quite a danger to the environment. This is a problem with human solutions. Actually, the new LED ones are quite a bit better for the environment, use less electricity than the fluorescence, and give actual light. Yeah. So our first solutions aren't always awesome, are they? Make sure the light that you put into your life is actually light. Now, the reason this is so difficult is the way we put the kingdom of God, the word of God into our lives, the way most of us use is we sort of have an opinion and we go to the Bible to find our opinion and then we go, look, it agrees with us. But if you're going to put the word of God into you, then I'm going to suggest a different methodology. And it's one that I, I think I'm, I'm average at. I'm trying. I'm working really hard. One thing you know is, I hope you know, is that I really love my Bible. But this is what I've started to do years and years ago, is started to say this. I would like to go to the Bible and find out what my opinion ought to be. And have the Bible shape my opinion rather than my opinion shape the way I read my Bible. Make sure the light you put in your life is actually light the lenses we read our Bible through is a really big deal because sometimes we lens, we, we, the lenses we wear, like this. See, my Bible is not nearly as readable now because the lens I'm using isn't as functional as it used to be. Sometimes the lenses we use are our cultural settings, and, and sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, well, you know, when he fed the 5,000, it only fed the 5,000 men. They didn't actually count the women. Have you heard this argument? Okay. Just settle down just a little bit. Recognize that they didn't say men and women back then because they have a language with with, um, tenses like Spanish. We don't have a language with tenses like Spanish. And so we say, well, that meant only men because he didn't mention the women and they didn't like women and blah, blah, blah. And, And this is all this attitude just flowing through us into the Bible and all that. Can you read that he fi- fed 5,000 humans? Can you read it that way? That's a correct lens on the thing. Now, if I, I'm taking Spanish over at the college, and, and let me tell you that if I'm correctly treating this group in Spanish, I have to say it's all about a- Ellos, the men, not Ellas, the women even though there's women in the crowd, because the language and the tense requires me to do that. That's what's going on. But let's not import our cultural lenses on there about how we treat people back into this other text. Let's read it for what it says and start looking at it. Make sure the light that you put inside you is actually light. Okay. I could beat that dead horse for a little bit longer, but I'm not going to because I noticed that the time is such that I have to read some more Bible now. This is the following. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him to a home for a meal. And so he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but you should not neglect the more important things. By the way, what he's talking about is this verse right here. This is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O God, what the Lord requires of you, to love justice, to do mercy, to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I have a weird thing going on with my throat here for a sec. I was thinking that the microphone was malfunctioning, but I don't think that's it. Anyway, so here we are, back to this. What sorrow awaits you, for you loved the seats of honor in the synagogues and received respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Teacher, they said, you have insulted us too in what you've just said. I love yes, said Jesus. What sorrow awaits you, experts of religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you for you build monuments to the prophets your ancestors killed long ago, but in fact you stand as a witness who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in the crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom has said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all of God's prophets from the creation of the world from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law, for you remove the key to knowledge from the people, but you don't enter the kingdom yourself. So back to the person that gets cleansed and clean but doesn't take the time to put the true light inside them. This is what he's talking about for the Pharisees. These are the people that you've run into in your life, and I know you've run into them. And about 70% of my apologetics work with non-believers is about these people. I keep running into church people, and they don't have changed lives, and they treat people like this. And what about the good people elsewhere that are nicer than the people inside the church? Have you run into the people that, that have the form of godliness but deny all the power? They've got the shape of godliness, but they don't understand what it means. They've got the name of Christian on their forehead, but they don't change their life and become Mission outposts, their light doesn't shine. The light is a darkness, actually. Well, this is what happens. You come to Christ and you get shit, you get cleansed up, but you don't enter into the relationship by putting the kingdom of God's word into you in the same way that if you wanted to be a citizen of France, let me just change this tone for a second. If you wanted to be a citizen of France, can you do that from Guatemala? No. You have to go to France. And you, whose rules when you go, do you use when you want to become a citizen of France? Whose rules do you use? Do you use, use France's rules, right? You don't use, uh, you don't use the Canadian rules for citizenship in France? Why not? Because France is a sovereign nation. Yeah? Well, what do you think about the kingdom of God? It's a sovereign nation. We have a king. He's a good leader. But he has set down this thing that you would be filled with knowledge and wisdom and that you would put the light in you and it would be true light. But if you don't put the true light in you, And what's it's what's what's the byword in there? The demon that was taken from you will come back with worse, and you'll be worse than the others. And 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 here he is talking to the Pharisees, and he said, "Look, you take you take the key of the word of God out of people's hands, and you don't let them go in, but you don't enter." And we call I I like to use this word. You've been inoculating people against Jesus. Your life is so not changed that, you, that when people say, man, I need God, and then it, but I don't want that God. Whoever their God is, I don't want any part of that. That's what it means to have the keys to the kingdom and not enter in yourself and then keep other people from entering in. So how do we fix this? How do we fix this? Well, we read the word of God and we let it to start have its way within us and it changes us and we put our light up on the table and everybody can see it and they start to believe. And by the way, if you're going to be different from the world, you actually have to be slightly different from the world. And I know this goes without saying. If Christianity is an alternative to the world, then it has to be different. If it's not different, it's not actually an alternative. And we've all run into people that live Christianity just like they did before they knew who Jesus was, and they just aren't helping. They're not helping themselves, and they're not helping the people around you. And you don't have any responsibility to help somebody else, but if you come in and you enter into the kingdom of God, then you will just naturally start to take on the kingdom of God's system of living. Our God who loves, His love will start to flow through you as you put His word in you and it's true light that you put in you and it'll be up on the thing and people will start to see it and they go, wow, something's different about that person. I want to be different. And then they start to trust you and, and as you're trustworthy, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be cool to be trustworthy for God's kingdom? But as you're trustworthy, they start to trust you, and they go, wow, I I think I'd kind of like to meet this God. And what that means is they started to loan God some of the trust that you've earned by your life being different, and then they loan it to God, and then God proves himself. And they come to God. And instead of saying, well, I always came for, for Dave's God, now they have their own God. That's how that happens. That little, I, Dave, Dave keeps talking about you, God, I want to know you. Um, but pretty soon you don't say, well, Dave's God, who are you? You say, that you are my God. And that trust and that life, as you put the light in you, you start to help other people see the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to be a naturalized citizen to the kingdom of God. First, what was the first one? Recognize that he's come near. Second, accept the transfer of ownership, which means that you've been redeemed and forgiven. Third, enter in to the relationship by putting the light within you constantly. I think that's enough. Did that feel like three weeks' worth of sermons? Okay. Uh, Pray with me, will you? Lord Jesus, thank you for um, transferring me. Thank you for transferring others. May we be attentive to your kingdom and its way of being and as we attend of that attend to that may our lives be filled with light and hope and your love amen